welcome to our marriage ministry for our uh, precious marriage. Again, last week we kind of started off and we're doing kind of a, a study through the book of 1 Peter. Again, this is not uh, an in-depth study. We're just kind of looking at verses and asking the Lord to speak to our hearts of how um, it might pertain to us within our own marriages. So, uh, um, and again, last week we saw uh, the pilgrimage of marriage. We saw the traveler who's on a journey, who's going uh, to a holy place. And again, listen, before each one of us got married, um, we were on a journey. And, and then we get married, and some of us, that journey kind of moves into light speed. You know, it's like, woo, and some of us are just hanging on for the ride and stuff. But again, it were those pilgrims that are moving in a direction. And as we learned last week, Peter was telling us that along the journey, there are going to be distractions. Uh, Peter actually called them, uh, and we looked in chapter two, he said, uh, fleshly lusts which war against the soul. And these fleshly lusts which want to move us from God's path, from a holy path to an unholy path, from doing the work of God to, you know, doing the work of our own flesh and our own self and what we want to do. And yet we understand that with the pilgrim, he has to keep his eyes on Jesus. And Jesus is the one who keeps him on the path. He's the one who leads. He's the one who guides. He's the one who provides the armor uh, that's needed each and every day to stand against the fiery darts that the enemy is shooting at us. And we also saw that on this path, the pilgrim's going to go through the Valley of Baca. We looked at that last week, the Valley of Weeping or Pain or, or Suffering. We're actually even going to talk a little bit about that today. And yet the pilgrim who keeps his eyes on the Lord, uh, it, it's the Lord who turns the mourning into dancing, the weeping to joy. He's the one, especially we're going to learn tonight, who can take and use those hard times within our own lives actually to bring comfort to others. Uh, as we walk through this valley of the shadow of death, valley of Baca there. And then we saw that the pilgrim that had his eyes, he could see from God's lookout point. He could see God's perspective. And can I say something in marriage? <laughs> we oftentimes only see things from our own perspective. Oftentimes I'll have couples come in and they'll be sitting and they'll be talking and they'll be telling me a story. And as they're telling me a story, it's like, wow, you guys are like in the middle of two different movies and yet you're both the stars of the, your own movie and, and yet your perspective is, is skewed. And yet I love the fact that God can stop. He can take us up and allow us to see from his perspective the things that are going on and especially in marriage. You know, I, it, it, again, um, it's oftentimes the little things that trip us up. The Song of Solomon would say it's the, the foxes that eat away at the vine that eventually destroy the fruit. It's the little foxes. And they tell him, hey, catch those little foxes. <laughs> I thought she was putting her hand on my leg and that usually means something. Uh, so <laughs> nope. That's a story to that later. But it's a, in Song of Solomon there, chapter 2, he says, hey, catch the little foxes for us that, that are eating at the vine and that destroy that. And yet what happens oftentimes with us, it is those little things that happen that get under our skin and that, that eventually destroy the fruit. And that specially works in marriage where the enemy gets in and he wants to do that. And he doesn't want there to be the fruit within our marriage, within our lives. 
Again, we talked last week and said Peter's writing to Christians. They were experiencing uh, various forms of persecution in the midst of a very, very pagan society. And he wrote to encourage them, as he's doing with us, that God is in control no matter what the external circumstances are that are going on. And so tonight we're in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. As he will tell us here, he says, In this you greatly rejoice. Now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Again, as I was reading this, I like, go, okay, wait, wait, time out. What is it that I'm supposed to be rejoicing in? Well, I understand. It's not the trials per se so much, but it's the living hope. It's our inheritance, which again is what? It's incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for us. It's reserved in heaven for us. And yet that is what we greatly rejoice in, that we understand it's, it's just for a little bit. You know, there is going to be a time limit on the trials that we go through. You might be in the midst of a trial right now. I know we kind of are with our own personal family and stuff, and, and yet we know that there, there's a time limit on it. I was meeting with a, a, a guy the other day, and he's got some pretty serious stuff that's going on in his life. And some of it, he like told me, he says, you know, Pat, I'm kind of thinking that some of this I may have to endure for the rest of my life. But then he said, but then I get heaven and eternity, and that will all be gone. The, the time limit will be, okay, time's up, we get to pass on. And, and in a sense, I love it that Peter would say, hey, there, there's going to be a time limit on these trials and things like that. But verse 7 goes on to say that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, genuine faith, better than gold, and it gives glory to Jesus Christ. Again, the Lord's going to use the trials within our lives to really see what's going on in our hearts. One writer put it this way. He said, the purpose of earthly trials is to sift out what is genuine in our faith. We'll talk more about that later. Whom having not seen you love, though now you do see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Again, genuine faith has a cause and effect, rejoicing in joy. And again, remember Jesus said to Peter, listen, blessed are those who have not yet seen and still believe. And Peter wants to remind us of those words. And I love that because Peter was there. He saw the Lord. He experienced those things that, you know, again, we and I, we didn't see it. You know, we didn't have our hands on and touch and taste and all of that with the Lord Jesus. Peter did. And yet Jesus said to Peter, how much more blessed are those who've not seen and yet still believe? You know what Jesus is saying to you and me? you know what, we are more blessed than Peter because we've not seen that, and yet we are still believing in him. Amen to that, amen to that. Verse 9 goes on to say, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Again, the goal of faith is the salvation of our souls. So as we look at these verses tonight, see how they might relate to where we're at in marriage, we will start with the ladies. Okay. Uh, Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 11 and 12. He said, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, 
for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, when I was getting ready for this, I was a little convicted by these verses, especially those words of Jesus right there, because I don't know about you ladies, but for the most part, I don't really face this kind of persecution in my everyday life. And remember, as Pat pointed out, um, Peter's letter were, uh, was written to those hearers that they had been uprooted from their homes, their families, they were hiding, they were fleeing, they were exiled, some of them had been imprisoned, they had been tortured for their faith in Jesus Christ. Those are trials that most of us will never have to endure. And yet, what I, I love about these verses, it helps for me, and even as Pat just spoke, it helps me to keep everything in perspective. You know, uh, sometimes our issues and our situations seem so gigantic, but when you put it all into the big picture of what these, our brothers and sisters from long ago were going through at this very time, it puts our little trials and, and things into, a right, um, into the right light. It helps us to keep it in um, the way it should be seen and not blown out of proportion in our own little worlds. You know, sometimes for us nowadays, our biggest things are, wow, they ran out of toilet paper at the store. I can't get my hair done right now, or we, don't, we can't go out to our favorite restaurant. Now, I'm not trying to minimize our problems or our struggles, because we do have them, and they're real, and they're hard for us. And even sometimes in our marriages, we have problems as well. So Peter's advice remains true for us today. And so as we look at verses 6 through 9, let's apply some of the promises and the principles that he has to our everyday trials, even though it isn't the kind of persecution that he is speaking about. He starts by looking backward, just as Pat pointed out, at the promises from last week that we looked at, that no matter what goes on in this world around us, it, it doesn't matter what goes on, even what might be going on in our marriages tonight, we are still God's chosen people. He still has given us new life and given us hope. He has given us a heavenly inheritance and he is still keeping us with his almighty power. Those are promises that circumstances and situations can't change, can't nullify, can't make go away. Those are things God has done. And as we sang about tonight, God is faithful and he will accomplish those things. In verse 6 of our portion tonight, the first part, it says, In this you greatly rejoice. In what? Not in the trials, but in those promises, in those things that we talked about, our inheritance, our new life, our hope. We are God's chosen. He is keeping us. Those are the things that we rejoice in. In all of those promises that God has made to us, we can truly be glad. There is a wonderful joy ahead for us. And just as you pointed out with the brother who said, I might have to endure this the rest of my life, but I've got heaven waiting for me. This means that there's wonderful joy ahead for us, tremendous joy. One version said, you should be exceedingly glad on this account. So for, for me tonight, the whole, the whole summary of what we're looking at is precious joy, even in the midst of trials, even in the midst of problems and tribulations, even in the midst of maybe an argument with your spouse, maybe in the midst of a disagreement over something really big in your marriage. I was reminded uh, a long time ago, I think our daughter is 30 plus now, but um, our oldest daughter is in high school. She wasn't really doing great with the Lord. In fact, she was kind of out there being in a rebellious place. And Pat decided to invite her to come on a mission trip to Russia with him. And I was like, what? Are you kidding me? She's not even walking with the Lord. She can't go to Russia with you. And I was really kind of uptight about it. 
And I was like, and we didn't really have the extra cash for her to go. I'm thinking, no way, it's going to be a disaster. We had a strong disagreement about this situation. And yet, when we choose to choose the joy of the Lord in the midst of our disagreements and our problems and our trials, God does come through. We can choose to rejoice in the Lord and to trust him. Well, lo and behold, our daughter went on that mission trip with Pat and the team, and God began to bust her heart. All these people are excited about Jesus and want to tell other people about Jesus, and she's got this internal civil war in her heart because she's not right with Jesus. And pretty soon when they got to Russia, Pastor Roger, one of the places, asked her, Michelle, why don't you share your testimony with the youth here? And God did an amazing work, and he changed her heart, and he changed her life for good. She is still walking with Jesus. She still loves the Lord. She's the pastor's wife now. So we never know what God is doing. And yet in that moment, in that disagreement, I was upset. I was mad. I thought Pat was completely wrong. And yet when I made a choice to to trust God, he came through, and the end result was rejoicing and joy. And that's what I love about this first part. In this, you can greatly rejoice. It says, verse B, of uh, verse 6, for a while. Some of the other versions said, now for a little while, temporarily, in the meantime. And again, as Pat pointed out, our trials are not going to be forever. Our trials, our problems, they are not going to go on and on and on. And we need that hope in our hearts and in our minds to be able to persevere in the midst of those trials. Because when you're in the middle of it, it feels like it's going to go on forever and it's never going to change. But that's just not true. You know, they say that we are either coming out of a storm or heading into one. And that's really true in life. That's really true in marriage sometimes, too. We're either just finishing a problem or we're about to be starting a new one. And so we need this kind of mentality, this hope to be able to endure when those, those problems do come. In our neighborhood, in the, uh, when the whole COVID thing started way back in uh, March or wherever that was, uh, there was a church in the area that must have given out little posters to all the people in the, the congregants of the church. And it had the church's name and it just said, this too shall pass. Now, I thought, you know, that was probably easy to say in March and April because you probably thought, oh, by May and June, this is all going to be gone. But what about now? Can we still carry on with that same hope? This too shall pass. Can, and can we not just say it, but do we really believe it? And do we live like it's true? We never should give up on Jesus. We don't. He is always going to be faithful and true. Maybe you do have struggles in your marriage tonight. Maybe uh, you don't feel like things are going exactly the way that you dreamed. This too shall pass. Keep that in mind. As this verse said, it's for a while. It's temporarily. This too shall pass as we trust in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18 says this, For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So the glory is going to last forever, the trials are not. So we don't look at the troubles that we can see now. Rather, we fix our eyes on things that cannot be seen. For the things that we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see, heaven, eternity, God's love and hope and peace, those things will last forever. Verse 6 continues on. It says, you must endure. Some of the uh, versions said, you've been grieved, you're suffering, you've been distressed. I like this one. 
You have to put up with every kind of aggravation. I hope that's not true of your marriage tonight, that you're putting up with every kind of aggravation. But that's what Peter is encouraging us. These things are going to occur in life. One verse said, you will be harassed by every kind of trial and temptation. I really like that one because when I thought about that trial and temptation, think about the trials, and that's sometimes somebody else's fault or no fault of my own. But temptations sometimes involve me and my faults and my problems and my struggles. It's not something I can blame on anyone else. You know, I started thinking about this because we are naturally self-centered ladies and people. And could it be that my own struggles and faults are involved in causing these temptations? You know, I find I instantly want to blame someone else or presume the worst about everyone else if there is a problem. I don't know if you're that kind of a person, but I find that in myself that I tend to be that way. Who did this? Why did, why did you do that? Only to realize oftentimes that it wasn't anyone else. It was me. It was my fault. I don't know about you ladies, but have you ever been in the middle of, a, of an argument with your spouse and all of a sudden you realize as the argument continues on that, oh, wait a minute, I am wrong or that didn't happen. And yet, sometimes our flesh wants to keep on arguing and keep on fighting, even after you realize you're wrong, because we have that pride and that flesh in there that just, I'm right, and I want to prove I'm right. We have a choice to make in this situation, ladies, with our flesh and with our pride. The choice to humble ourselves, to repent when necessary, to listen to the Holy Spirit when he's convicting my heart that, stop, better not say anything else, because you are wrong in this one. You know, it's interesting, today in my devotional, I was in Philippians 4.2, and it said this, Now I appeal to Eodia and Sintothy, I'm not sure if I'm saying her name right, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. You know, I just thought, what a great word for us today in our marriages. If that's you, if that's me today, the Holy Spirit would say to us, beloved sisters in Christ, beloved, beloved wives, beloved couples in Christ, Because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreements. Repent, forgive, forget, restore. Do things God's way and allow the trials to be something that's past and allow God to work the way he wants to work. Did you realize that God allows trials for our good? It's sort of our spiritual workout, if you would. He sees, he knows what we can handle, what will mold us and make us more into his image and likeness, what will cause us to look like him by his help and by his Holy Spirit. Ladies, when we are filled with his Holy Spirit, we are much stronger than we think. In our weaknesses, the Bible tells us that he is made strong. James 1 verses 2 through 4 says this, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, Consider it an opportunity for great joy, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Ladies, this is what real empowerment looks like. This is what an empowered woman looks like, one that's trusting in Jesus, being filled with his spirit, and allowing the trials and the troubles and the struggles of life to work for our good, to make us stronger and more like Jesus. Verse 7 tells us that these trials will show that our faith is genuine, that there's no accident, 
these trials happen to prove our faith, which is infinitely more valuable than gold. Genuine faith put through this kind of suffering comes out to be proven genuine. It's not just that we say it's genuine, it's proven genuine. Job 23 verse 10 says this, but he knows the way that I take, and when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Ladies, the trials, the struggles, the problems that we endure, God sees. They're not surprised to him like, oh, wow, look what's going on down there to her. He knows what we're going through, and he uses those things to mature us, to make us stronger in him, to make us more beautiful in Jesus. This proving of our faith is planned. It's actually planned by the Lord. It says in one of the verses, to give you praise, honor, and glory in the day when Jesus reveals himself. In the message, this is what it says. When Jesus wraps this all up, it's your faith, not your gold, that God will have on display as evidence of his victory. I love that. Because you know what? The world is watching. They're watching for us Christians, for those of us who claim to be Christians, they want to see how we endure these things. They want to see how you're enduring COVID. They want to see how you're enduring the problems in the economy and the elections and this and that. They want to see if your Christianity is real. And when Jesus wraps us all up, when he comes for us to return for us, they're not going to care about how much money you have or what car or home you have. They want to see on display what God has proven through you, genuine faith. You know, the Bible says that we are his workmanship. We are his trophy of his agape love and his grace and his redemption. We're on display for all the world to see and to wonder about. We're proof that Jesus' death and resurrection are real and powerful. We're proof that salvation can make faithful men and women. We're proof that genuine children of God that he has made genuine children of God out of weak sinners like us. Verse 8 goes on to say, You love him even though you have never seen him, and though you do not see him now, you trust him. Rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. John 20, 29, as Pat pointed out, says, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Ladies, whatever trials or struggles you might be going through at this very moment, remember this. Love Jesus, trust Jesus, rejoice in Jesus. All that he's already done through redemption, all that he's going to do for us by completing the work that he has begun in us, and all that he's preparing to do for us in eternity. Jesus said this in John 14. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Being daughters of such an amazing Father God should give us a great reason to be glad, to rejoice, to be filled with hope. Also to be grateful women who are growing more and more in love with our Savior Jesus. Romans 5, 3-5 says this, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us to develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation, and this hope will not lead to disappointment. Ladies, you're not going to be disappointed with Jesus, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Whatever trials or problems we are facing today, maybe even a rough patch in our marriage, 
God has his hand on you. He sees, he cares, and he is at work, even if you don't see what he's doing yet. Amen. Amen. For men, guys, listen again. I kind of honed in on six and seven. And this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. If need be, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And again, I don't know about you, but sometimes I have a hard time rejoicing when I'm being grieved by various trials, when my buttons are being pushed, even if that button, even if the button pusher is someone who's sitting next to me. Um, But again, (laughs) but again, even James agrees with Peter because he said, as Mary said, that count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that testing your faith producing produces patience. But I oftentimes think, okay, how about we skip the lesson in patience and not do the trial thing? But that's not how God works with the pilgrims. He desires to work this way. You know, Spurgeon said that trials teach us what we are. They dig up the soul and let us see what we're made of. Someone said a gem cannot be polished without friction, nor a man perfected without trials. But again, men, when it comes to trials, listen, uh, we don't choose whether we will experience them, but we do have a choice as to how we will respond to them. How is it that we are responding to the trial? How is it that we are responding to those who are around us? Deuteronomy 8 says this. It says, You shall remember that the Lord your God led you all these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you, to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandment or not. And again, God uses these trials to see what's going on within us, to see really what's in our heart. And when those trials happen, what is it that's there? Um, about a month or so ago, maybe it's two months ago, um, my parents have a timeshare down in San Clemente. Shoot, we haven't been down there in like 25 years or something. But it was it was there. Nobody was using it. Usually they rent it out and stuff. But it was you either use it or lose it. So we decided, okay, we're going to go down. You know, maybe we'll go down for a day or two and stuff. So my son went down, him and his daughter and kids, and they came back. And then me and Mary went down, and we spent about a day and a half down there. It was wonderful. I had a great, great time. But then we came back home, and then we decided, you know, we're going to take the kids down the last day and a half. And uh, so we got the granddaughters, you know, three of them, and we go down there, and we're, the first day was, it was kind of okay, but my love tank was getting really low, and then the next day, I mean, the buttons were being pushed, the buttons were being pushed, and I tell you, no, not by you, never by you, but (laughs) unfortunately, what my granddaughters saw was prideful, arrogant, selfish, self-centered Pat, not love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And while this whole thing is going on, and I'm just like, oh, this, Mary kind of leaned over, grabbed my leg, and she's reminding me that, Pat, you know what? It's okay. You don't have to get so worked up about this. And so then we went down, and we're at the store, and I'm, I'm still battling everything in my mind. You know, guys, we kind of do that. And, and I'm trying not to let it come out, you know? And we go and we stand in line, and as we're standing there, and the, the girls kind of knew that I was about done, and so they were all kind of like all, all around Mary, huddled up next to Mary, <laughs> staying away from me. But uh, there was a lady in front of us, and then there was two like high school kids in front of her, and um, they weren't mer- wearing masks, 
uh, again. But the, the, one of my granddaughters said, Mom, said Gigi, they call her Gigi, Gigi, how come he's not wearing a mask? And the lady in front says, that's right. Why? And she just goes off on those kids. And unfortunately, one of the kids kind of looked back and kind of said some smart out remark to her. She starts yelling like, would a manager come and take care of you? Know, and she's just going off. And I'm just thinking, oh, my gosh. And then God reminded me, hey, Pat, that might not be you on the outside, but that's you on the inside right now. And again, it's just like, okay, Lord, yeah, what's inside is this stuff that's not good, and it came up, and, and I don't like it when that happens. And yet, God uses trials within our lives to cause us to grow, to cause us to grow up, to cause us to grow spiritually. Again, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that testing your faith produces patience. Men, patience. God wants us to have patience with our wives, with our kids, with our grandkids, with the in-laws. He wants to do, and yet he's going to sometimes, I don't know about you, have you ever found you kind of keep learning the same lesson and it's like scratching your head, why do I have to keep going through this? Well, because we've not quite learned it. God takes it through it. But again, he wants us to grow spiritually. Also, God uses trials to turn us into the image of his son again. 2 Corinthians, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of God. Again, men, listen, understand that every time your wife reads or hears the Scripture, and in Ephesians 5.22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Oftentimes, the first thought in her mind is, well, when he acts like the Lord, then I'll submit to him, which is not okay biblical thinking, but I'm just saying that oftentimes passes. But yet, guys, the scripture would say, husband, love your wife, just as Christ of the church and gave himself for it. We are supposed to be acting like Jesus. We are supposed to be loving her like Jesus. There should be a desire within us to want to be trans- transformed, to want to change, to be in the image of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And yet when we respond in an unhealthy or selfish, self-centered way, that is not Jesus. But ultimately, again, God's purpose through the trials, through the button pushing, is to transform us into the image of his son. Another thing, sometimes God uses trials within our lives to prepare us for something work that he wants to do down the road. We kind of see that in the lives of some of the people in the scripture. We see that in the life of David. Remember, he was there as a little boy. He was watching the sheep. And, and then, you know, he kind of rose in the kingdom. And then he's on the run from Saul for 10 years of his life. You know, death is a step away from me as he's chasing around. Well, God wanted to do a lot of incredible things in David's life so that he could do an even greater thing for the kingdom of God. And that's what David, you know, all of those things. When you read through the Psalms, David wrote most of those, and that came out of a heart. I mean, it's not like he was on the mountaintop just, just sitting there praising God all day. No, it was, there was a lot of grief and pain and hurt and suffering. And yet through that, as he was that pilgrim who was looking to God, God used him to speak and to minister to us. You know, again, there's another guy in the Bible named Joseph. And when you, when you look at Joseph's life, you see that God was preparing him. Again, he share dreams with his brothers that he had, you know, and, and then the brothers hated him. They despised him. They grabbed him. They, they were going to kill him, and they throw him in a pit. 
And then they decide, well, let's not just kill him, but let's sell him and make some money on it. They took his clothes, his clothes, his coat that his dad had gave him. They, they killed an animal. They put the blood all over it. They dragged it in the dirt. They took it back to dad. And he said, hey, tell us if this is your son's or not. And, and dad, you know, saw it and says, yes, that's my son. Well, he must have been eaten by a, 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 an animal or something like that. Then he goes down. He gets, you know, sold down. He goes into slavery down to Egypt. And he ends up, a guy by the name of Potiphar buys him. And he ends up in Potiphar's house, and he's helping take care of things with Potiphar. But Potiphar had a cougar wife, and she came after David. And, and it says that she looked at him with longing eyes, and she kept, like, trying to, to, like, get him to sleep with her. Would you please sleep with me? Sleep with me. Sleep with me. So much to the point where finally she grabbed his clothes, and he had to run out naked. And then he ends up in jail because she cried out rape, and he's in jail there for a while. And eventually, you know, again, how many years, we don't know, but he interprets a guy's dream who ended up being the cupbearer to Pharaoh. Pharaoh had a dream, and no one could interpret it. And then the guy goes, hey, there was a guy in prison to interpret. Joseph goes, and he interprets the dream. And again, God did this work in Joseph's life to save a nation, to save his own people as well. And I love it, because even Joseph said to his brothers, what you guys did, you meant for evil, but God took it and used it for good. And God wants to do that with the trials and tribulations. You know, what I love about, and I, I know I've shared this before, but I love it. I, I love about Joseph is that um, Potiphar gave him a wife, and he starts having kids. And the first kid he had, after all this stuff that happened to him, he names, God will help me forget. God has made me forget. And I always think it's interesting. Why would you name your kid, God has made me forget? Because every time you call his name, you're saying, God has made me forget. God has made me forget. God has made, you're kind of reminding yourself, did you really forget Joseph or what? But, but then he has another kid, and his name is Ephraim. Ephraim's name means God can make me fruitful in the land of my affliction. And listen, in the trials and tribulations, God wants to make us fruitful. This is so um, appropriate for marriages. He wants to, in the land of affliction, wants to make you guys um, very fruitful, that others would taste, that others would see. But God uses trials as well just to change us. And how does he do that? Well, verse 7 kind of talks about that. It's describing the process of making gold. It's tested by fire. It's called smelting. Or you heat it up. How it works is you take the gold you, you put it in a thing, you heat it up, you apply the heat, you keep applying heat, 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 it finally starts turning to liquid, and then all the impurities of the gold rise to the top, and then the guy that's doing the gold, he takes it and he pulls all the yuck off, all the dross, all the impurities, he gets it out, and what's left is, is just the pure gold. When I was in the Philippines in this about 1985, Marcos uh, was still in power. We actually got to go see where they were making their gold and stuff because he was totally into gold making and stuff. But anyways, but that, that's the process that happens. Well, Peter is saying that same process is what God uses within our lives in and through the trials that happen, the buttons that are being pushed, and, and, and the heat gets turned up, and the sin, the weakness of and the character flaws all come to the surface so that God can scoop them away, that what would be left would be something that he would look at and say is pure, is, is good. That's what God wants to do so that we could be transformed. And yet sometimes the heat, the trials, the sin, the weakness, the flaws that come to the surface sometimes shows us really where we're at within our own faith or how faithless we may be. 
Oh, ye of little faith. And I'm so thankful that Jesus said that to the disciples because I know I find myself in good company. You know, because I was with a guy the other day and he said, Pat, I need you to pray for me because I got this going on and I just need to be healed. I need you to pray for me. And the Bible says that if you had the seed of a, uh, faith of a mustard seed, which is this little tiny, it's like a grain of salt almost. And if we have that much faith, we could say to this mountain, be removed and cast in the sea and it would obey. And I think, okay, if that's the measure of faith, because I think sometimes I got great faith, you know, but it's like, no, 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 itty bitty bitty faith and stuff. But sometimes, you know, it, it, it shows where we're at. And yet we might think because of a trial, tribulation, stuff going on, God doesn't love me. God's angry with me or God is out to get me. And at that point, we either hold on to Jesus or we're going to go further away. Listen, if you're in that place where you have those thoughts in your mind, God doesn't love me. God's out to punish me. God's out to get me. Listen, that is not a thought from the Lord. That is from the enemy. It's from the pit of hell. We need to repent of that and ask God to forgive us. Because again, when we will trust in him, listen, what happens? It makes our faith grow because all of a sudden we go from having a very little God who can't do anything, can't accomplish anything, to having a God who gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and then God begins to purify and do that incredible work, transforming our motives, our actions, and all of that. Through the trials, again, uh, he wants to bring that joy within our lives. Uh, David said this in Psalm 27, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage. He'll strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Psalm 73, whom am I in heaven but you? There is none upon the earth that I desire beside you. He said, my flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. And then Paul in 2 Corinthians, therefore, we don't lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet, uh, uh, perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but a moment, and I, and I liked it because Mary was kind of talking about that, our light affliction, you know, how our, we think our trials are so amazing. I was sharing with a brother this morning who does a lot of work in Africa, and we were talking about, you know, some things going on over there and get, trying to get over there to minister to some people that are over there really kind of in need right now. But he said, you know what, Pat, their cry every day is, Lord, would you please provide a meal that I can eat today? That, that, that's their light affliction. I think for me, you know, our light affliction, well, someone looked at me wrong or someone said something about me. Someone posted something that had my name and it wasn't nice. You know, I mean, that's our, you know, affliction. But again, he would say the light affliction, which is but for a moment, but for a moment is working a far more exceedingly eternal weight of glory. Again, men understand the Lord wants to use the trials and tribulations within our hearts, within our lives. He also uses these things to show us who's in control. Luke chapter 8, it's a story you guys all know it really, really well. Verse 22 says, it happened on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples. He said to him, we're going to go to the other side of the lake. They launch out, but as they sailed, he fell asleep. Now, again, most of these guys were, this is what they did for a living. They, they, they were the, the crew. They, they lived, they were fishermen, you know. Uh, I go out every once in a while on a boat. And, I mean, one time we went out recently, and it was so bad out there. Um, and me and my two other sons, I mean, we were feeding the fish with, you know, what was coming out almost the whole time because we were all sick, you know. But those guys who are, that's what, this is what they do. They don't get sick like that and stuff like that. But these are guys who, th th this is what they're used to. 
But it says a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water. They were in jeopardy. They were fearful of their lives. They came and they woke them and said, Master, we are perishing. We are dying. We are dying. And yet it says he arose, he rebuked the wind and the raging water, and they ceased and there was a calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, who can this be? For even he commands, even the wind and the water, and they obey him. Listen, people, God is still on the throne. If there are things going on within the relationship, things going on within the marriage, understand God is on the throne. Look to him. Look to him. Allow him to do the work that he wants to do. Again, when the buttons are being pushed, when the trials are coming, uh, there's a reason for all these things. We need to hold on to Jesus with all we got. And as, yeah, sometimes that yuck comes to the surface. You know, it's just like the other day when I was with the grandkids and it, it was there. It maybe wasn't <laughs> spewing out like the lady in front of me, but it was still there and it was yuck. And yet God wants to, hey, Pat, there's still things within your heart. You need to continue to surrender daily over to me because God wants to get the glory and the honor. In this you greatly rejoice, so now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Again, Father, we do thank you so much for your word and the things you've written here, Lord, for us. And as couples, we come, Lord, and Lord, we want to learn the things you want to speak, the things you want to say to us. So, um, Lord, help us to surrender in those areas that we need to surrender. Help us to look to you and to call upon your name for all that you want to do for who you are and all that you are doing. So we thank you. Thank you for this time. Lord, for all of those who tuned in online, would you be with them? Would you watch over them? Pray and ask, would you help us couples, Lord, to really desire to spend time, to, to desire to want to, to talk, to want to, to have that intimacy that you've called us to have, even with you, and then you want us to have it one with another. Lord, so would you move and work in our beings? We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people agree by saying amen. 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 God bless you guys. Thanks so much again for, for coming out and enduring. I'm really hoping, and in, in, in we, we got one more week out, but I'm believing after that we'll be back inside. So that's what we're looking forward to. Yes, amen. All righty, guys. God bless. We'll see you next week.